Welcome to this week's edition of the St. Paul Podcast. I'm Peter Marty, Senior Pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church, located in the heart of Davenport, Iowa. Right here each week, you can hear a message to inspire your walk with God and hear beautiful music to fill your life. Let this podcast be your occasion to contemplate some of the deepest things in life, just as I hope it helps faith come alive for you. This is Peter Pettit. This is the week when we celebrated the festival of Pentecost at St. Paul. It was celebrated throughout the Christian church, really. A festival that focuses on a particular moment in the earliest days of the community that follows Jesus. Often Pentecost has been called the birthday of the church. It involves the gift of the Holy Spirit to the believers. And in this reflection, we look not so much back to that moment and what it meant historically, but we take up a question from the reading and ask, what does it mean that the Holy Spirit is given to us today? as believers, as God's people. The reading is written in the second chapter of the book of Acts, beginning at the first verse. When the day of Pentecost had come, the apostles were all together in one place. Suddenly from heaven there came a sound 
like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem, and at this sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? We heard the question at the end of the reading today that they asked themselves, what does this mean? Or in the idiom of a movie that I watched recently, the movie was The Hate You Give, what that? What does this mean? It's an easy question when we're facing something unfamiliar, something unclear, something that needs some explanation or interpretation. What does this mean? I saw a YouTube video recently from a number of years ago when Hillary Clinton was the Secretary of State and in a very different era of relations with Russia, she was meeting with the Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov and presenting him with a gift. That gift was a symbol, she said, of what then-President Obama and Vice President Biden and she as Secretary of State were hoping for in the relationship between the United States and Russia. And so, just as you may be familiar with the little red button about, you know, did that, done that, um, this was a little wooden box with a red button on it, which the Secretary of State called the reset button, because we were hoping to reset relations with Russia. Well, the foreign minister, Mr. Lavrov, smiled and, and accepted it graciously and said, so we will push the button together, right? She said, yes, we'll push the button together. And then she said, you know, we worked really hard to make sure that we had the right word on the box for this reset button. And so we wanted to, it, is this what it means? He said, no. <laughs> you wanted Terra but this says Terra and it means overcharge. <laughs> or Elizabeth Kelly, the Peace Corps volunteer, working in Bulgaria, who recalled one of her early encounters in a cafe with her server. She knew some Bulgarian, and so she ordered in the cafe what she wanted to drink, or at least she asked, could I get some coffee here? And the server clearly shook her head. 
And so Elizabeth tried again and said, could I get some tea here? And the server clearly shook her head. So Elizabeth asked again, trying, how about some cola? And the server shook her head, looking a little puzzled. And then Elizabeth remembered that in Bulgaria, when you shake your head this way, it means yes. Or the classic one, when any of us are dealing with somebody who is not a native English speaker and doesn't maybe have a lot of English, and we try to explain something to them, give them directions maybe, and we get that quizzical look back that asks implicitly, what does this mean? And so we do, so many of us, what is so unhelpful, we repeat more slowly and loudly the very same English as though that would help. Each one of these instances shows us what the importance is of knowing and understanding the other person's language and context and culture. If we're going to know, what does this mean? Luke, the author of Acts, tells us that this was the Pentecost question. What does this mean? And Luke doesn't mean that the people didn't understand what Pentecost was. This was not the first Pentecost. Pentecost was a familiar Jewish festival, one of three every year when Jerusalem would be crowded with pilgrims coming to celebrate the festival. And Pentecost was the festival of the covenant, the, co the festival when they celebrated that as they came out of Egypt into the wilderness, God led Israel to Mount Sinai and gave them the covenant of promise, I will be your God, you will be my people. This is a celebration of the Torah that was given as the lifestyle to live in that covenant, of the covenant itself and the promise of the belonging that Israel knew that it had as the people of God. They knew what Pentecost was. And it was not, what do these words mean? Luke is really clear. Everyone understood in their native language what was being said. There was no confusion about the words. They understood clearly. They were amazed that they understood so clearly. So then, what does this mean that they're asking? They wanted to know what the whole event meant. The sound that had drawn them together, the rush of the mighty wind, the appearance of these apostles with flames, tongues of flame dancing above their heads as they proclaimed the mighty acts of God in each one's native language. What does that mean? Two years ago, Sandy Greenberg published his memoirs. Some of you may already have read them. You may be familiar with the story. I've come across it recently about how Sandy Greenberg, as a college student, 19 or 20 years old, about to go back to his junior year of college, 
went through a traumatic life experience. He was out pitching in a baseball game, American Legion game one afternoon, and all of a sudden his eyes went fuzzy, kind of steamy, and he was unable to pitch anymore. The next pitch sailed over the catcher and the umpire's heads. He stumbled off the field, and within six months, Sandy Greenberg was completely blind. Some sort of viral glaucoma complicated by an initial misdiagnosis took his sight from him in the middle of his college experience. He didn't go back to college in New York City that fall. He skipped that semester, stayed at home with his parents in Buffalo, New York, sunk in a deep depression, grieving the loss of his sight and who knows how many hopes and dreams, expectations, aspirations that he might have had. And so he didn't go back to college. He didn't go back to his roommate, Arthur. Arthur, with whom he had fashioned a close bond over their first two years, his best friend, with whom he had said in their early years together that they would always be there for one another, no matter what. Whatever life's ups and downs might bring, we'll always be there for each other, said these two young freshman college student roommates. But Sandy didn't go back. He sat in Buffalo, and toward the end of the semester, Arthur showed up in Buffalo. Sandy, you have to come back to college. I can't come back to college. How can I come back to college? I can't see. I can't read. I can't go anywhere on my own. I can't possibly come back to college. Arthur said, Sandy, you don't understand. We promised each other we would be there no matter what. I'm here and I will be there for you just like we promised. And Sandy records in his memoir that from that day, Arthur changed his entire pattern of life in order to make it possible for Sandy to come back to college, to finish college, and to move on into what turned out to be a remarkable career. Arthur would walk Sandy to campus. He would take him out in the city. He would bandage his wounds when he bumped into something or tripped over something and fell. He gave him every support imaginable, and especially he read to Sandy. He would come in and say, Hello, Sandy. Darkness is here, and darkness is going to read the Iliad to you today. Darkness is here, and darkness is going to help you study for that test that you have. Darkness is here, and darkness is going to fill out those graduate school forms for you. Because Arthur knew that Sandy had to come to understand that darkness was his friend and not an insurmountable enemy. One day, darkness took Arthur to Grand Central Station, that bustling, busy, complicated place in midtown Manhattan. And suddenly, 
Darkness said, oh my gosh, I forgot. I have to be somewhere else. I'm sorry. I'm sure you'll get back okay. And that was the last Sandy heard of him at that moment. So Sandy struggled, turned, asked questions, went wrong directions, took wrong staircases, asked again, and it took three hours for him to go the several miles from Grand Central Station back to the Upper West Side where their college was. As he came up out of the subway on the Upper West Side, he bumped into somebody who said, excuse me, and Sandy realized it was Arthur's voice. Arthur had been there the entire time, all three hours moving alongside Sandy, making sure he didn't do any real harm to himself, didn't get really lost, but giving him the gift of a new kind of freedom and autonomy and life that he could live in his darkness with darkness, now his old friend. The mighty act of God that Arthur brought into Sandy's life was the strength and capacity to cope and to grow in spite of what had happened to him. And Arthur didn't offer that just with words. He didn't say, come on, Sandy, you can do it. He didn't send notes to Buffalo with thoughts and prayers. He showed up. He walked with him, and he did it in Sandy's new idiom by becoming darkness, his old friend. That's what incarnation is all about. That's what it means that Jesus came into this world to know our lives to walk alongside us, to learn our language and experience, and ultimately to be our power, our strength, to be capable to face anything that may happen to us. And the gift of the Spirit, which was given at Pentecost, the gift of the Spirit is what lets us do that for others. It's not just about language or gesture. It's about our whole life experience. It's about the time invested. It's about the commitment that we're willing to make. This is how most of us have come to hear the gospel. Finally, really hear the gospel in our own lives when someone else stepped in and walked with us and spoke it in our language. What does this Pentecost mean? On the one hand, it's pretty simple. It's God's embrace of all people with covenant love, with grace, with promise, with belonging. And at the same time, what does this mean? I cannot know that until I've walked 
with you. Learned your circumstances, fears, capacities, dreams, until I've learned the language of your life. And when I do, I don't just need to keep repeating louder and louder what my gospel is. I can whisper it quietly next to you in your life, gently into your experience. And then the Spirit will show us both what that gospel is for you. Amen.
Join me, if you will, now in sharing in the prayer that Jesus taught the disciples. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. May the Spirit of Christ that brought gifts and power to the first communities on that Pentecost bring you gifts of power and compassion, patience, and care this day and for all your days. To the glory of God. Amen. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast, and thanks for your support of the ministries of St. Paul Lutheran Church. Our commitment to projects that lend hope to other people stretches across the country and around the world. We hope that in a good way you feel a part of that reach. Tune in next Thursday for another edition of the St. Paul Podcast.